you guys have too much fun. You know, I said to somebody, I'm just an excuse. I'm just an excuse. You guys, this church is crazy, and I'm an excuse for you to act crazy. Uh, Actually, uh, you know, I, I never had a birthday party until I got married. And, and Carolyn felt sorry for this poor little boy that never had a birthday party. So she celebrates every time she gets a chance. And, uh, but thank you. We, we've had a good birthday. Uh, oh, can you sing happy birthday to me? Thank you, thank you. That's not bad for 50 years old. Uh, uh, I want to also mention to you that uh, Carolyn is going to be leaving this week to go to Idaho. She's going to start sorting and packing, and and, uh, then I will leave the following week And I will start sorting and packing and throwing. And uh, uh, hopefully we will be back by the end of the month and it'll all be over. So uh, our stuff will go into storage probably the 25th or 26th of the month. We have a moving company coming and they will take it to Moscow, Idaho and put it in storage and we've already been looking at some places online and thinking through that and so uh, we're not sure where we're going to land we're just walking with God one day at a time so uh, uh, it's going to be interesting it's it's fun the best part about it is I will get my puppy later in the month and uh, I'm not sure Carolyn's looking forward to that so we're going to start in Galatians 6 this morning. And uh, I love it when the Apostle Paul becomes practical. And, and that's really what he does here in Galatians uh, 6. He's, he's going to take everything he said up to this time about all the legalism and, and all the grace. And he's going to bring that down to where we live every day in the context of the church. And so we'll take a look at that. Before we do, let's bow together and pray. Father, thank you this morning that we can come into your presence with the realization that you've redeemed us, that you have saved us, that you gave your son We get to the end of the service and we will take communion and we will be reminded again of this great sacrifice you have made on our behalf. And Father, we thank you that you have brought us together, that we are in a church together, that we are codependent on each other. And we want, Father, to learn a little more today 
about how we can uh, work with each other and minister to each other and be involved with one another's lives. And we pray, Father, that the instruction today from your word will lead us in that direction. So bless us as we spend these moments together, and we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was not able to make it to their uh, international convention one year because of illness. So he sent a wire, not an email, a wire to the conference, and it only had one word, others. And everybody else knew what he meant because his his admonition was that they consider the needs of other people. And the Salvation Army has been doing that for so many years. Last week I was reading an old comic strip and Lucy is talking to Charlie Brown. And Lucy says, Charlie Brown, why are you on this earth? And Charlie Brown says, I'm here to make others happy. And you can see the wheels turning in Lucy's head. And she comes back and she says, after pondering that, she says, then why are others here? And we as believers could answer that with the words, one another. And the scriptures are really clear. Perhaps more than a dozen times, the New Testament tells us that we ought to love one another. And uh, loving one another is a part of the reason we come together as New Testament believers. But the New Testament doesn't stop there. It gives us other one another type passages. For example, we are told in James 5 verse 16 that we should pray for one another. Pray for one another. Maybe it would be a good thing for us to start a practice of coming to church on Sunday morning and finding out who you're going to sit next to and remembering that name and face and going home from church and remembering to pray for that person every day until the next Sunday. Next Sunday you sit next to somebody else and you pray for that person. Maybe it would be a good idea to turn to the person next to you before you leave this morning and say, what could I pray for you about this week? And uh, we are instructed in Scripture to pray for one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are told to edify one another, help to instruct each other, help to uh, make a contribution into one another's lives. And in First Peter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, we're told to prefer one another, to put each other ahead of ourselves, uh, to care more about what your needs are 
than what my needs are. That's a hard thing for us to do. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, we are told to use hospitality with one another. We are told to share with one another. Uh, and Carolyn is uh, a hospitality nut. And uh, one of her frustrations with us being in our RV here is that she can't have all of you in for dinner. And uh, the result of that is uh, she gets a little frustrated sometimes. So sometimes I tell her, call a lady and ask her if you can use her house (laughs) and invite all these people in. So have hospitality with one another. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and this is where Paul takes us. Bear one another's burdens. And he's going to get detailed about that. We may not like the detail. We may not like where Paul goes with this. But the fact is, he's going to tell us that we should bear one another's burdens. So um, let's see here how Paul describes that we should minister to one another in the context of the New Testament church. Let's start our outline. Point number one. Sympathy toward the fallen and needy. Sympathy toward the fallen and needy. And when I use the word fallen, we're talking about a person who falls into sin. Okay? Uh, So let's take a look at the text, and uh, we'll see how this fits. He starts out with the word brethren. So understand up front that Paul is talking to a church. He's talking to people who have placed their faith in Christ. He's talking to people who are Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He considers these people his brethren. So the people in the Galatian church are believers. So he says, brethren, even if a man is caught, In any trespass, circle the word caught and circle the word trespass. We'll deal with them in a moment. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Circle the word restore. That's an important word, and I I need for you to see the importance of that word this morning. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to to yourself. Circle the word looking. Paul is talking about a person who has fallen into sin and another person who's going to go to that person, slip their arm around them, and say, let me explain to you what I see. I love you. I care about you, and I want to help you, so let me tell you what I see. But he says, make sure that you pay attention to yourself. The word that he uses for looking is the Greek word skopeo, from which we get our English word scope. And a scope is something 
that brings stuff in close so that you can look at it and analyze it. And when Paul says, looking to yourself, he's saying, analyze your own life. Make sure you are okay before you decide to correct somebody else. That's very important to this text. Lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and this and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So let me start out by saying to you that confrontation is not a dirty word. Confrontation does not need to be the equivalent of harshness. The reason that confrontation is often considered harsh is because one day I was confronted in a harsh way and I can't seem to get that out of my system. Somehow I can't forget it. Somehow I remember how that guy approached me and in the process, every time I hear the word confrontation, I think of that situation and I wind up getting all upset over it all over again. Confrontation is something that should take place and there is a healthy perspective to confrontation. It has a great value in the life of the New Testament believer. And confrontation has to take place over this word trespasses or trespass. And that is a word which means to fall beside. Uh, it means a false step. Uh, the word actually means walking on ice. If you're walking on ice and you slip. So this trespass is not referring to the kind of sin that we lay awake at night and decide that we're going to do, and then we habitually get involved in this sin, and we do it over and over and over again, and we don't think about what God thinks about it. This is a trip. It, you, you've, you've fallen. You've, you didn't intend to commit this sin. You haven't laid awake at night trying to figure out how to commit this sin. You've slipped. And it's something that any of us can do. It means a failure to achieve, a blunder. And, and he puts together with that the word caught, which is a word which means to be suddenly overtaken. It means that we are suddenly overtaken by a sin where we slipped and shucks, I did that. That's the idea. So Paul is talking here about a person who has fallen into sin and how that person should be confronted. So let's take a look. First of all, who should do this confrontation? He says, you who are spiritual. Now in the context of the passage, he's referring to someone who has the characteristics that he's just spelled out in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. A person 
who has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the kind of person who ought to approach this person. Let me also point out that he is not talking about an office here. He is not saying only pastors can do this. He's not saying only elders can do this. You know, I hate it when somebody calls me. I don't hate it. I I will take every opportunity to share the gospel with anyone. But sometimes a person will call me and say, Pastor, my dad's dying and he doesn't know the Lord. Would you go share the gospel with him? And I want to say, what am I, your hired gun? (laughs) What's wrong with you? Can't you share the gospel with him? Uh, Now, I'm happy to go and share the gospel with him. But the fact is, Paul is not talking about an elder here. He's not talking about a pastor. He's talking about the people in the body caring for the people in the body. He's talking about the people in the church bearing the burdens of the people in the church, not just the leadership in the church bearing those burdens. And so he's not talking about an office. So the first thing is, who should do this confrontation? Those who are spiritual. Secondly, how should the confrontation be done? This is another reason why I think Paul is talking in the context of the fruit of the Spirit. It should be done in the spirit of gentleness. In the spirit of gentleness. See, it takes gentleness. It takes love. It takes peace. It takes patience to walk up to a person in love and say, I love you, but you know, you did this or you said that, and I want to help you with that process. And uh, so this word means, it's, it, it, it means to be equitable. It means to be moderate and fair and forbearing. It means that you and I are not going to insist on the letter of the law, whatever the law may be at that point. It may be something we decide that it is. You function this way or else. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you have to be forbearing. You have to be understanding. You have to take the person from where they are to where they need to be instead of push them to where they need to be. And as a result, you end up confronting with gentleness. Now, let me say an important thing here. You, you probably already know this, but let me say it for the sake of discussion. None of us is exempt from falling into sin at any given time. It could happen to any one of us. You're sitting in the chair and you're thinking, it happened to me this week. Uh, We could all be saying, it happened to me this week. 
And it could happen to any single one of us. And it would be wonderful if another one of us would pull up alongside of us, put his or her arm around us and say, I was watching you this week and and this is what you did and I wanted you to know that I love you and uh, you need to take care of that with God and with that person. So who should do it? You who are spiritual, how should it be done in gentleness? What is the goal of this confrontation? It is to restore such a one. Remember I said circle the word restore. Restore uh, is the Greek word katartizo. Katartizo. Now that word in this text is very important. It means to repair, to restore to a former good condition. Our car broke last week. We took it to the mechanic, and it got restored to a former good condition. See, Sometimes you and I break down spiritually, and we have to get restored to the former good condition that we were in. But let me tell you about katartizo. Katartizo is a word that is used in the New Testament about 40 times. And as here... It's typically used in a what we consider a continuous present tense, which means that this repairing is something that has to keep going on. This repairing is something that should be constant within the body of believers. This repairing is something that we need to have going on in our lives. Now, if you are a person who thinks what I do is my own business and nobody else's, or if you're a person who says, I don't really need anybody else to help me with my spiritual life. If you're a person who says, I don't really need an accountability partner This word denies all of that. This word is a word which says we need each other so much that we need to be helping one another repair ourselves whenever we fall into sin. And the best thing that ever happens to me is when I have somebody that I can say, uh, you know... um, Here's what I did last week. And, and that person whacks me up alongside the head. Uh, figuratively speaking, of course. Um, Josh is younger than I am. and uh, See, we need to be in relationship with each other. You know, I say to couples who are married, I say, sit down over dinner one night a week and ask each other questions like, what is God doing in your life right now? Where are you reading in God's word right now? What passage meant the most to you 
this week. You know, when Carolyn and I are at our closest, it's when we're talking about what God is doing in us individually. And that kind of accountability is good for us as believers. And this word, katartizo, is a word which leads us into that continuous present process of constantly being repaired in our spirit before the Lord. So, who should do it? Those who are spiritual. How should it be done? In gentleness. And what is the goal? To repair the relationship that we have with God, to restore. Let's take a look at humility towards self. And Paul comes to the issue of what's going on in the Galatian church at this point. He says this, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work or test his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting I don't really like the translation boasting. I would prefer a better translation, which is rejoicing. He would have reason for rejoicing in regard to himself alone. In other words, there's, it's a good thing to be able to say, boy, I did good today. I walked with God. I can put my head on the pillow and I can feel good to, That God and I had a good relationship today. You can rejoice over that. He's not talking about, boy, I was really righteous today. That's not, that's boasting, see. But I, but I can sometimes, sometimes lay my head on the pillow and say, I did pretty good today, Lord. Thank you. Uh, And that's rejoicing. And that's really what this word means. And not in regard to another, For each one will bear his own load. So Paul now addresses the issue that is going on in the context of this church. The Judaizers came in and they said, you guys are not functioning right. Don't believe that Apostle Paul. He's no good. He's doing this and he's doing that. In other words, the legalists made himself look better by making his brother look worse. The legalist always makes himself look better by making his brother look worse. And see, love, true love, as we have it in Scripture, would not lead us to expose a brother's failures or weaknesses in order to make ourselves look better. But that's the nature of what we do so often. Just this week, Carolyn and I were talking to a couple, and they were sharing with us about their church. And it would have been so easy to say, yeah, I know that guy, and I know why he does what he does, and, you know, he's really coming out of a a background or, or whatever and make him look bad so that, I could just look better. But that's what we tend to do. And that's what the Judaizers did. Then the Apostle Paul says, that's not the thing to do. 
Make sure that you examine yourself. Look at your own work. You're going to stand or fall on what you do and what you believe and what you think and how you function and not how somebody else does. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who I considered to be a really great man, said this. He said, I was never of any use until I found out that God did not intend me to be a great man. <laughs> there is a certain sense of humility about him that, uh, that he uh, always had in spite of the great sermons and the prolific writings that he had. And uh, as a result, the Apostle Paul says, be humble. And then point number three, generosity toward God's servants. And, and there's a couple of things in this passage that are very important. Let's take a look at the first one. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. In other words, make sure that you are uh, providing for those people who teach the word of God. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you discover that Paul teaches that it was right for the church leadership, the pastors and those who were teaching in the, in the church, to earn a living by the way they do their ministry and uh, that the people should take care of them financially and care for them and their family. That's why here... Uh, with uh, those that are on our staff. They have the call of God on them. They're teaching the word. They're uh, leading the church. The reality of that is we support them and we care for them. We even provide things like health insurance and those kinds of things for them. And that's what he's talking about. Those who are taught the word should share with those. In fact, if you go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 you discover Paul restates this whole concept that the one who is leading the church, the, those who are teaching in the church, ought to earn their living. And he even implies there that there were some who took advantage of that and didn't do things the way they were supposed to do them. And so um, he goes on to say in this verse then, do not be deceived. Circle the word deceived. It's the Greek word planao. Planao, from which we get our English word planet. It actually means a wanderer. As a planet kind of wanders around in the skies, Paul is saying, don't you be a wanderer. God is not mocked. Don't think that you can fool God today and not fool him tomorrow. So don't be a wanderer on this. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now remember, he's talking about sowing into the ministry. He's talking about providing a living for those who teach the word of God and do ministry within the context of the church. 
And, and he's saying, make sure that you understand that if you're going to sow there, you'll reap from there. But if you sow someplace else, and he goes on, for the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so it becomes very important, this cause and effect idea. In other words, if you break the laws of God, you will suffer the consequences of breaking those laws. In fact, many of us who were unsaved and then got saved, we got all of our sin forgiven, possessors of eternal life, and yet still there are some consequences that we experience from our past sin. There's no way to escape it. That's really what he's talking about. So pay close attention to what you plant. Even though it may seem uneventful, insignificant, simple, or casual, it isn't. You will, in fact, bear the consequences of what you plant. Here's an important thing. Whether you are a vocational farmer or whether you are a backyard gardener, a weekend gardener, there are certain laws, certain rules that you have to know. Here's the first one. We reap in kind the same as we plant. I was reminded of the movie Secondhand Lion, one of my favorite movies. You know, they bought all these seeds from a traveling salesman. Yeah, they planted them all. They had all these things at the end of the row. But it was all corn. All they got was corn. They planted, they thought, tomatoes and carrots and spinach and all this other stuff. But it was all corn. All they got was a field of corn. Because this principle, you reap in kind the same as you plant. You cannot escape that. That rule will not change. Here's the second one. You reap in a different season than you plant. Sometimes you and I have circumstances that crop up to us and we say, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening now? But it's a different season from when we planted. And sometimes... We ask why, but the question is superfluous because we're only reaping what we planted earlier. Here's the uh, third one. You reap more than you plant. No way to escape that. You reap more than you plant. See, uh, if you're going to plant a small seed of tomato, that vine is going to produce dozens of tomatoes. And if we plant a sin, boy, the result of that could be astronomical. And finally, we can do nothing about last year's harvest. Yet it's done. Nothing you can do about that. 
in Job chapter 4, he said, according to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. It's as simple as that. And those rules are the same. They never change. So we cannot expect to harvest a field of holiness after we have planted a field of carnality. And the Apostle Paul is saying, make sure that you have somebody in your life who can pull up alongside of you and help you in this process. Finally, helpfulness to all. Helpfulness to all. And let us not lose heart in doing good. So that's why our men go out to widows and orphans on Saturday afternoon. That's why we give supplies to a local school. That's why we help people wash their dirty clothes. That's why we, because you, you can't do enough of good things. Uh, do not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we shall reap if we do not grow weary. In other words, he's saying, do good things and that will give you an opportunity to take the next step and maybe share the gospel with somebody. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially those who are of the household of faith. Our works pave the way For our verbal witness, we win the right to be heard. As we abound in love for one another, we overflow in love for all men. And that's precisely what 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 12 says. See, Paul is saying, take care of each other. Bear one another's burdens, even the sin burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Help each other. Bring one another into accountability because you will reap what you sow. You probably have never heard of Sir Robert Watson Watt. Sir Robert Watson Watt. He invented radar. And years later... He was driving in Canada and he was stopped by a policeman who was armed with a radar gun. And he was given a ticket. And Robert Watson Watt wrote this poem. He said, Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of his radar plot. And this with others I can mention a victim of his own invention. (laughs) What a beautiful illustration of what happens when we sow and reap. You know, God makes some promises about sowing and reaping. God makes some promises in Scripture. And here they are. The first one is the harvest God provides. And you see that in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. He says, as long as the earth exists, there will be certain things. 
There will be seed time and harvest. There will be night and day. There will be uh, uh, summer and winter. And these will not cease, he says, as long as the earth is. There's the promise that sin produces. We just read it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked in Galatians chapter 6. And then there's the gospel promise where he says, Behold, I say to you, Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They are white for the harvest. And then there's the promise of judgment, the harvest of judgment in Matthew chapter 13 when he's talking about the wheat and the tares. And he says, the enemy sowed the tares and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So there will come a time when it's all going to come to an end and God is going to harvest what the devil has planted. So as you go to communion this morning, as you speak to God, you know, we are all in this together. Any one of us could fall into sin any day. Isn't it beautiful that you can take a little piece of bread and a small cup of juice and you can say, God, forgive me. And God is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of what we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. Continue to bless it to us. Enrich our lives with it, especially as we come into your presence to celebrate the death of your son right now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.